Hey, and thanks for tuning in to the Father's House podcast. The Father's House exists to see people discover life in Jesus. We hope that today's message brings you fresh life and renewed hope as you listen. Enjoy. Uh, Well, hey, we're going to continue on in a series that we began last week called Pandemic Planning Part 2. And uh, I had someone ask me after the service, they're like, hey, why did we call it Part 2? We didn't do a Part 1 of this series. So, well, we really didn't get an opportunity to do Part 1 of this series because there was no runway for us to plan for a pandemic. So since we didn't get a chance to plan for it accordingly in Round 1, we're going to shoot for a better planning here in Round 2 as cases begin to surge and things begin to shut down. And it really would be wise of us to ask ourselves, the question that I I posed last week, which is, are we truly ready for another round of this pandemic? And again, I don't mean, you know, that you've got enough toilet paper on hand or paper towels. I mean, is your heart, is your mind, is your faith, is your spirit ready to navigate through another round of wind, another round of waves? Because listen, we cannot let this round take us out like it did the first time. I made this statement last week, and sanity is doing the same thing over and over again and expecting different results. I know that for many in our church, the results that they saw in round one were not ideal. And I do not want to see you walk through the same thing over and over and over again. Come on, I believe we can be equipped by the Holy Spirit so that we can walk through this chapter victoriously in Jesus' name. So. I want to do my best to, to, to offer some thoughts. And last week we talked about uh, the need to make sure we keep our personal fire going, that passion for God, our heart for God going. And we determined that your fire is your responsibility. Nobody else is going to take responsibility for your walk with Jesus. No one else can read the Bible for you. No one else can pray for you. Your fire is your responsibility. And we got to keep putting those logs on the fire every day. We got to be in prayer every single day. We got to make sure that we don't rely on some outside source the church, the pastor, the whatever to fuel our fire. That's not their job. Our job is to guard our own fire. And, and I, again, I just, I love what I'm seeing in our community right now. I love the passion and the joy and the hope that is returned to so many. And as, even as I'm talking to people throughout the week, you just, something has shifted and you can feel their joy and their passion for God stirred up again. And I don't believe that God started that only to see it taken out once again in another round from the same enemy that tried to take it out the first time. I believe that he who began a good work in you is going to be faithful to complete the good work in you. And we trust, come on, that God is going to equip us to stand strong. So we're going to continue on in that conversation uh, today. And uh, last week when we talked about fire, this week we're going to talk about something a little different. It is equally as uncomfortable, but uh, today I think if we're going to make it through this next round, we need to make a commitment to not fake it. We need to ensure that we're not going to try to fake it this round. And many of you have heard that phrase, right? You can fake it until you make it. You ever heard that one before? Yeah, it is horrible advice. Some of the worst advice on planet Earth. Because it's just not true. You cannot fake it until you make it. Most of the time when you fake it, you never make it. And you're found out in the process of your faking. I think we've all experienced that to some extent. Like you could be a college student and you could be faking that you are retaining some information in your class. But there is, you know, the midterm or the test that's popping up and you're faking it will be revealed. It will be, it will be shown that you were not retaining any of the information in the class. You can fake it in your marriage and you can pretend like everything is fine and you can go to the dinner parties and laugh and smile and bring the nice bottle of wine and look like the picturesque couple, but behind the scenes you're falling apart and eventually your faking it will be revealed. You'll end up at best in counseling, at worst in divorce court because you can't fake it until you make it in your marriage. 
You can pretend like you're doing your job and you're working hard when you're really on Instagram all day long or, you know, you're finding ways to waste your employer's time and maybe you can get away with it for a season, but inevitably the performance review is going to come up or the production report is going to come out and it's going to be revealed that you have not been doing your job and you can fake it, but you're probably not going to make it. Whoever made that statement, whoever coined that phrase was no wise sage. You cannot fake it until you make it. And yet, I think that is the advice that so many Christians bought into in the first round of this pandemic. I think we bought into that lie that we could fake it, hoping that we were going to make it. Faking our faith, faking that everything was okay, putting on the smile when nothing was okay just holding out for the moment this would all shift and it would all lift and we would say, okay, I made it through this thing, but we didn't make it. We faked it and we failed in the process. We self-destructed. And so if we're going to truly make it through round two of this, if we're gonna thrive through round two of this, we have to make a commitment that we are not gonna fake the funk any longer. We're not gonna try to fake it until we make it. No, we're gonna be open, we're gonna be honest, we're gonna, we're gonna share where we're at. And in order to do that, let me offer a provocative title, and this is not a political statement, but this is what we're going to talk about today. We're going to talk about wearing no more masks. No more masks. Please do not clip this part of the video and put it on your Instagram channel and, you know, send it to the newspaper. San Francisco pastor advocates taking off masks in public. I don't need that kind of PR right now, okay? Things are difficult enough as they are, but... No more masks. That's what we're going to talk about. Let's pray and we'll get into this. Uh, Jesus, we thank you once again for your presence, not just in this room, but your presence in every room where this is being piped out to you right now. And we thank you that as we go to your word, it has promised that it can change us because it is bathed in you and it is bathed in your presence. And when you walk into a room, when you walk into a space, you shift things for your glory. It says in Psalm chapter 119 that the entrance of your word brings light. And so I pray that as this word goes out today, it's not my my words, it is your word, that light would begin to illuminate every dark space, every hidden space, every secretive space, and God, that we would allow ourselves to be exposed to the light of your goodness and the light of your glory so that it can change us from this day forward. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Um, I, was, uh, I was reading an article uh, a couple of weeks ago that was written by an anthropologist, and she was beginning to uh, discuss in this article what she believed the post-pandemic reality would look like for the United States and, and globally and beyond. And, and so uh, she began to articulate some of these things that, that she felt were going to exist in our community, whether we liked it or not. She talked a little bit about how businesses and sanitation and safety standards were going to be at a whole new level, and we'd probably never go back to the way things were before. And she began to talk about this PTSD that she felt people were going to experience when they walked into crowded subways or crowded rooms or tried to go to a concert or any kind of a large event that people would be apprehensive to do so. And if they even got the guts to go in there, that they probably would kind of shut down a little bit in that setting. And a whole bunch of great, really encouraging information in this article. For sure, it wasn't depressing at all. Uh, it was just rather informative. But she made a statement in this article that jumped off the page at me. And I wrote it down knowing we were going to be discussing this topic. And I think it is relevant to what we're discussing today. She said, the days of an unmasked America are over. In her mind, based on her research, she felt that even after vaccines had been administered, even after the government said it's safe for everybody to go outside and to shed the mask and we can see each other's faces again, 
that people will have become so preconditioned to the safety that they feel behind this piece of cloth that the idea of going out there and taking off the mask would feel so reckless and so unsafe that even though they could do it and it would be totally safe to do so, they'll keep it on because they feel safer behind the mask. And as I read that statement, I couldn't help but wonder if this was not just her prediction, but it was also a spiritual application for us today. Because while wearing a piece of cloth over our faces is perhaps new to many of us, the idea of living behind a mask is not new. The idea of trying to hide behind something is prevalent in our society. We have a lot of different mechanisms where we can put on the mask, whether it's the, the social media filters that we put out there, and you know, there's even apps that make you look skinnier or buffer than you truly are, or you know, the, the highlight reel we post for everybody else to watch, and we never let them know about the bloopers and the stuff happening behind the scenes, or may, maybe it's the smile that you plaster on and you pretend like everything's okay, and you know the church language when we're allowed to see each other, just bless God, how you doing? I'm great, brother, God bless the Lord, he's so good, amen, America, you know, all the stuff. That people say, and or or even if it's just the inability to go deep in a relationship, and our incapacity to truly be vulnerable with one another, and to find intimacy with other people for fear that if they get too close, or if we reveal too much, then they're going to truly see who we are, and we're going to be rejected, and no one's going to want to know about the dirt behind the scenes. Whatever the case may be, we have a lot of masks that we put on for the same reason that this anthropologist wrote the article, because we feel safe behind those masks. And that might work if we want to keep our distance from humanity. It'll work, and it's working for many right now if they want to live isolated, island kind of lives. But that doesn't work around Jesus. You can't live a masked life around Jesus because here's the deal. When Jesus shows up on the scene, he sees past the filter he sees beyond the mask. He's not interested in a surface relationship that never gets intimate and never gets real. That's not the kind of Jesus you serve. No, when he walks onto the scene, he starts calling out every single mask in existence and tearing them off and revealing them for what they truly are because he wants to see the real you. And Jesus did this often in his ministry. He would often walk into these environments and he would begin to call out the masks that he saw. And there's this really intriguing uh, part in scripture where Jesus is speaking to a crowd and he begins to address a group of religious leaders known as the Pharisees. And he begins to speak about the masks that they felt safe behind. And, and here's what Jesus said in the book of Matthew chapter 23. It says, then Jesus said to the crowds and to his disciples, the teachers of religious law and the Pharisees are the official interpreters of the law of Moses. So practice and obey whatever they tell you, but don't follow their example. For they don't practice what they teach. They crush people with unbearable religious demands, and they never lift a finger to ease the burden. And then I hate this line, but I love it at the same time. Everything they do is for show. He begins to call out this entire group of people and say, hey, they, they're living a fake life. Everything they're doing is for show. And then for the next 20 verses, he begins to articulate in great detail all of the fancy show that they're putting on. He calls them out in front of an entire group of people. And he basically says, hey, you guys are faking it. You're not making it. You don't think that I see beyond what you're doing? No, you're faking it, and you're definitely not making it. And then to tie this little rebuke bow together at the conclusion, 20 verses later in verse 25, here's what Jesus says. He says, what sorrow awaits you teachers of religious law and you Pharisees, hypocrites. For you are so careful to clean the outside of the cup and the dish, 
but inside you are filthy. Jesus sums this rebuke up with one word, a word that nobody ever wants to be called, uh, kind of an ugly, uncomfortable word, but a word that Jesus feels is accurate when describing the condition of these people. He says, you guys are hypocrites. Come on, that one cuts a little bit. Now, hypocrites is an interesting word, especially when you look at it in the original language. In the Greek, it's the word hypocrites, and it literally means one who wears a mask. Somebody who's hiding behind a facade. Jesus says, hey, in the same way that an actor puts on a mask and they portray this fictional character that doesn't really exist, that's how you're living your life. The image that you're projecting to other people, the person that you want everybody to think that you truly are, the mess that you don't want them to see behind the scenes, we all know that that's not true. You are living behind a mask. And then he makes this really awesome statement, this beautiful visual analogy that I want to camp on for a couple of moments because I think it will help us to understand perhaps the problem that we face as we enter into round two of the pandemic. He says, You're careful to clean the outside of the dish, but the inside is filthy. You're careful to polish up the outside of your life, but the inside, you're just a hot mess, man, and you're not willing to tell anybody about it. I think that statement describes how many people have lived their life for the last nine months, perhaps even prior to the pandemic, trying to buffer up the outside, make it look good, while on the inside, they're falling apart. Uh, let, me, let me illustrate this, if I could, for just a moment. I, uh, you know how much I love these illustrations. I have this bowl. And uh, I think this bowl could be representative of our lives. It, it's white. It's clean. It's pretty. You know, we, we've polished up the outside. We, we used a little dawn so that it could sparkle. And here it is. Look at my life. It's great. And, and the outside of this bowl is what... Most people see. They see the church going, fish on the back of the minivan, Caleb listening, sparkly gold tooth, ding, kind of person. But what they don't see is that, you know, back in March when this all hit, suddenly as you begin to get isolated, you saw that depression begin to rise up in your heart. Some stuff was happening behind the scenes and you didn't know how to navigate through that depression and so you begin to to self-medicate. You begin to find some ways to cope with that depression and all of them were, were no good. They were all self-harm and you found yourself entering back into some addictions and back into some sinful patterns that you, you hate about yourself but you can't seem to shake. And then in the midst of it, you know, your relationship with your spouse or your relationship with the people that love you, it just seemed to get worse and worse and worse. And then you're yelling at your kids and you're yelling at your neighbors and you don't know how to interact with people any longer. And before you know it, you, you've stopped reading the Bible and you're far from God but you're just putting on this show to make it look like everything is okay on the outside. But, but on the inside, you're disgusting. On the inside, there's all this garbage going on. But, you know, I don't want anyone to see what's truly happening. And so uh, if I just keep my distance, if I stay far enough away from people, they'll never get a look into the inside of me. And I'll, I'll just, I'll live my life up here. Doesn't everything look great? And they never get to glimpse into the true you, 
Or, or if, if someone tries to get close or, you know, maybe we, maybe we make the step and we go to the counselor, we reach out for help, but as they get close, we feel a little bit awkward about what's on the inside, so we cover it up and we put on the mask and we say, no, 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 everything's fine, it all, it all looks good. But the truth of the matter is that things are falling apart on the inside. Listen, you, you cannot live your life like this. You can stay closed up and you can stay disgusting, but you will never find what Jesus truly needs to do on the inside of you living like this. If you're taking notes, I want you to write this down. Jesus cannot cleanse what we are not willing to reveal. Unless we are willing to open up, unless we are willing to show God what's happening on the inside of us, then he can never touch this and he can never cleanse this. And we just look sparkly on the outside while we are a mess on the inside. Let me, let me illustrate this even further. Um, I had a friend uh, send me a photograph a number of months ago, and he had some family in from out of town, and uh, he began to share with me that his family from out of country had never used a dishwasher before. They didn't know how to use this particular appliance, and so uh, he was trying to explain to them, hey, you know, when you get done using a dish, you can throw it in the dishwasher, and the dishwasher will clean it for you, and they're like, oh my gosh, what an amazing piece of technology. And, uh, and so one night, um, his mother-in-law, uh, and I'm not going to tell you who this person is because I'm trying to protect all of these people's identities, uh, she, uh, she finished eating and she threw her dish in the dishwasher. And as she threw her dish in the dishwasher, uh, this is what she did. In fact, you can take a look at this image as it comes up on the screen. Yeah, if you're wondering, that is a, a, a glass container of pasta with the top on stuck inside of a dishwasher. Now, we all understand that that's not going to work. It's funny because we're like, oh, come on, who would do that? Who would put a closed container inside of a dishwasher and assume that it's going to get clean? No, no one, everyone knows that there's no way the cleansing cycle is going to magically remove the top of that thing and clean out all of the pasta and, you know, present this clean dish. No, there's no way that's going to work. Well, if it doesn't work for a dishwasher, it's not going to work for our lives either. We can stay closed off and we can stay confined in our own spaces and behind our masks, but at the end of the day, if we are not willing to open up and be honest about where we're at, then we will never find the cleansing that we truly need. We must be open about it. And so for the next couple moments, I want to give you two areas where we must remain open, where we must open up our lives and reveal what's going on or else we'll never truly experience the thriving that God has available for us in this next chapter. Uh, if you're taking notes, write this down. Number one, no more masks with God. No more masks with God. Now, I know that sounds obvious, but it is amazing to me how many people don't know how to be open and honest with God. It's amazing to me how many people try to present a finished product of their life to God. To borrow a statement from Jesus, they look at the dish and they go, okay, if I clean myself up, if I pray in old King James English, if I, if I look the part and I sound good as I present myself to God, then surely he will accept me. But listen to me very carefully, listen to me. That is a broken mindset we must break off. 
whether it's dead religion that you, you know, the church you used to go, the, go to or the denomination you belong to that said you had to clean your life up before you came close to God or maybe it's the broken relationship you had with dad and how you felt like you had to add up to something that he would always never, I mean, the, the, the goal would continue to change and he would reject you or maybe it's a, a knowledge that God, oh, he's just this angry guy in the sky but you haven't experienced the true love or the true grace of the Father. Whatever it is that causes you to think like that, we need to rebuke that in the name of Jesus because that does not belong anywhere in the gospel. It is not grounded in the truth. You do not present a finished product to Jesus. No, we come as we are. Religion says come as you should be, but Jesus says you can come as you are. You can bring yourself, your hot mess of a self, right to the feet of Jesus. Listen, God does not want you to come behind a mask. Praying behind a mask is a waste of breath. Trying to present some image to God of, of this righteous person that is still kind of falling apart behind the scenes, that's abhorrent to him. He is not interested in us presenting something fake. He does not have a problem with your problems unless you try to hide your problems, and then he has a problem with your problems. But the Bible says that a broken and a contrite heart, God had yet to deny. Come on, when we come to him in our brokenness, when we come to him in our failure, when we come to him in our tears-soaked, ready-to-quit, depressed, discouraged, disillusioned kind of self, he doesn't reject us and say, go clean yourself up, and then you can come back to me. No, he says, thank you for coming openly and honestly into my presence. I can work with that. You can verbal vomit on me all you want. I can handle your problems. I can handle your stress. I can handle your worst days or your best days. He is able to deal with the real you. And I don't think anybody understood that reality in the Bible more than King David. David was one of these men, as you read through the Psalms, just take a nice slow read, here's what you'll find. He knew how to be vulnerable with God. He knew how to truly open up and take off the mask around God. In fact, there's a psalm I want to look at, Psalm chapter 32, where he begins to describe what happened in his life when he didn't live that way and what joy there was on the other side of truly being open and honest with God. He says in Psalm 32, verse 2, What joy for those whose record the Lord has cleared of guilt, whose lives are lived in complete honesty. For when I kept silent, my bones wasted away through my groaning all day long. For day and night your hand was heavy upon me. My strength was dried up as by the heat of summer. Most theologians believe that, that David wrote this psalm in a season of his life after he was trying to hide behind a mask. I won't bore you with all the details, but you can go back and read it in 2 Samuel chapter 11. But one day, King David is hanging out at his palace when the rest of the kings are out at war. He should have been out there fighting for his people, but he decided to kick back and relax, and maxing on, chilling on, cool. Uh, playing b-ball outside of school. And he was just hanging out. And as he's sitting out on his, 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 uh, his balcony, he looks out and he sees this beautiful woman taking a bath on her roof, probably watching the father's house. And uh, he asks his advisors, he says, who is this woman over here? And they're like, oh, that's Bathsheba. But hey, don't get any crazy ideas, King, because she's, she's married, all right? She's got a man. In fact, it's Uriah the Hittite. He's out fighting for you right now on the battlefield. So you, you got to leave this one alone. But the king's lust got the best of him. And he had his, his guards go out and take her from her house and bring her into his palace. And essentially, he ended up raping this woman. 
A couple days later, he finds out that she's pregnant, and all of a sudden, he doesn't know what to do. So he tries to sweep it under the rug and hide his, his sin, but uh, he, he, he concocts this plan where he, he has the Uriah go out into the front of the battlefield, and he's murdered and executed right there, and uh, everybody else gets to escape freely. And he thinks for a moment he's gotten away with it. He's like, all right, I got rid of the evidence, and now I can bring her into my palace, and she can be my wife. It appears that the mask worked for a season, but the prophet Samuel comes to David, and he says, hey, um, God knows what you've done. None of your actions are hidden before God. And now I know because God told me. So you need to do something about this, O king. And, and David has this moment where he has to decide, am I going to be open and honest before God? Or am I going to keep putting on this mask and pretend like everything's fine? And we know because of the story that he did the right thing. Psalms chapter 51, you see this prayer of repentance where David understands that his relationship with God has been broken and he doesn't want there to be a mask any longer. But then Psalms chapter 32 is a psalm he wrote once he experienced the grace and the forgiveness and the goodness of God once he was willing to be open. He said, when I tried to hide, here's what it was like. It was like my bones began to waste away on the inside of me. Your hand was heavy upon me, oh God, and it, it sapped my strength like in the heat of summer. I don't know about you, but I've been there sometimes in my life where I wasn't ready to be open and honest with God and I was trying to hide behind something and it just felt like God's hand was heavy on me because he wasn't trying to rebuke me and be angry with me and reject me. He was trying to get me to open up so that he could, he could take care of the problem that I was facing. But then David said, when I finally decided to open up, when I was willing to be honest with God, something happened. I got my joy back. He says, what joy is there for those who live an open and an honest life before God? What joy is there for those who would take off the mask and quit trying to fake it, hoping that they're going to make it, but they were just willing to be open and honest with their heavenly father and say, this is where I'm at. I know it's ugly. I know it doesn't look good or sound good, but I am, I'm willing to be open and honest. And in one moment, David got his joy back. Come on, there is joy in the honesty before God. There is joy when we are willing to just tell God exactly where we're at and not try to hide anything from him or not try to run from him. The moment we begin to open up and we walk into his presence, it's like joy begins to permeate that place again. And if there was something I think our, our world needs desperately right now, I think it would be the joy of the Lord. Let me remind you today, joy is not predicated on pleasant circumstances. It is a steadfast, regardless of what we're facing. It is a rock that we can build our lives upon. And whether we got a pandemic and it's COVID or whatever the case may be, there is still joy available to the believer because it's not found in my circumstances. It's found in Jesus. Our world needs some joy again. Uh, let, me, let, me, let me prove it to you with some statistics. I know we're all obsessed with what's happening with COVID right now. And according to the stats, nearly 1.5 million people have lost their life to date because of this sickness. But there is a second killer that is catching up to COVID. One that, that maybe we aren't paying attention to like we should, but one that is all, the significant, or all that much more significant. It is depression and heaviness and sadness. Right now, experts are saying that nearly a million people have committed suicide globally in 2020. And they estimate that by the end of this year, because of the season we're walking into right now with the holidays and the depression that comes along with that for so many, that upwards of 1.5 million people could take their own life because of the circumstances we're facing globally. Yeah, that's almost as many people as have currently died from COVID. You know what that tells me? That tells me there's a joy deficit in our planet right now. 
That tells me that there are some people that do not know what it feels like to be open and honest in the presence of God. And they're trying to process their problems by themselves, behind the mask, and they don't know how to talk about it. But they could be one conversation they could be one moment, one gut, honest, open moment with God away from the joy of the Lord returning to their life again. Let me remind you, that is one of the reasons that Jesus came to this planet. When he stood up in Galilee in Luke chapter 4 and began to preach about himself as he quoted Isaiah 61, he said, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me, and he has anointed me to bring good news to the poor, to bring joy for those who are brokenhearted. Come on, to give beauty for ashes, joy for mourning. The gladness for a spirit of despair. That's what Jesus is literally standing by waiting to give for those that are willing to be open and honest with where they're at. If you're going to make it through this round, you cannot hide behind the mask with God. No more masks with God. you got to be honest with him about where you're at. But, but there's a second space we need to be honest as well. Another audience where we need to remove the mask. And that is number two. No more masks with people. We need to be open and honest around some people. Again, if you're taking notes, write this down. Openness with God brings joy, but openness with people brings healing. James 5 says this, confess your sins to each other and pray for each other so that you may be healed. The earnest prayer of a righteous person has great power and produces wonderful results. Uh, this has always been somewhat of a complicated and confusing scripture for me. I think for years I, I misunderstood its implication and its application. And I think many people have probably misunderstood that as well. In fact, I think this is one of the most misapplied scriptures in the Bible. Denominations and religious movements have, have applied some form of human-to-human -human confession in an attempt to try to find the life that is mentioned and available in the scripture. But I think we've gotten so much of it wrong. Before I describe what I mean, let me just state this. I do believe that it is powerful, scriptural, and necessary to be open and honest with other people when you blow it. I think you need to have some family, some friends in your life that you can open up to and say, hey, I failed again. Here's my sin. There is healing when you confess your sin one person to another. The right person, but one person to another. We need to have those accountability people in our life. We need to have those friends that are going to come around side of us and say, hey, I know you blew it, but come on, a righteous person falls, but they get back up. No matter how many times you've fallen, come on, son, come on, daughter, come on, brother, you can get back up again and you can run after Jesus. We need that in our life. We need that openness. In light of all the failure we've seen in the body of Christ for the last nine months and churches that have closed down and figure, public figures that have fallen from the stages that we're on, my, my wife coined this phrase, and we've used it a lot over the last few months. She said, hey, if we're going to make it through this thing, we're, if we're going to do this church thing for life, we need to stay low, we need to stay local, and we need to keep telling people our dirt. Come on, that's some good life advice right there. Stay low, stay local, and keep telling people your dirt. Keep telling people where you're at. That is necessary, and there is healing in that. But I think that there is another scriptural application of this text, and it's perhaps revealed as we go deeper into the original language. So, so let's go deep for just a moment if we could. There are seven Greek words in the New Testament for sin. Uh, seven different ways that the Greek language describes sin. All sin is equal before God, but all, not all sin is described equally in Scripture. One theologian put it like this. They said, uh, these seven words all paint a different shade of the word sin so that they, get, they allow us to see the, the full scope, the full picture of what the New Testament describes as sin. I rather like the way that they describe that. 
Uh, but the main word that is used in the Greek when discussing sin is the word hamartia. And it means to miss the mark. Uh, it's, it's an archery term. So if, if one were to shoot a bow and arrow, well, they don't shoot the bow, but they shoot the arrow from the bow, and the arrow misses the mark, it misses the target, that is what the, the, the Greek language describes as sin. God has a mark, he has a standard, it's holiness, it's purity, it's righteousness. And every time we shoot our lives in that direction, but we miss the target, we have sinned, we've fallen short. Romans 3.23 says, all have fallen short of the glory of God. Everyone's arrow didn't make it to the target, but that's why we need the grace of God. That's why we needed Jesus, because our lives always fall short. And if you were to look at all of the other six words in the Greek language that describe sin, they do play nicely with that definition. All of them fall into the category of falling short of God's glorious standard. But there is one word, consequently the one that James uses in this scripture, that has perhaps an important distinction that we need to pay attention to. When James says, confess your sin one person to another, he uses the Greek word paraptoma. I rolled that R really, really well. Did you hear that? Paraptima. Paraptima. And it means falling when one should have stood strong. It doesn't mean somebody who is just deliberately disobeying. It doesn't mean somebody who just continues to live an unrepentant life and I'm going to do this thing and I'm just going to keep on sinning and I'm a filthy, dirty, rotten sinner. It's not what he's saying. This word means Man, I'm trying to stand strong, but I just can't right now. It speaks to fatigue. It speaks to exhaustion. It speaks to somebody who is getting so beat up behind the scenes that they don't know how to stand any longer. And so they continue to fall when they should be standing strong. Man, do I think that that describes where so many people are right now. So sick and tired of this. So ready to get back to some semblance of normal. And as much as we hate what we're doing and we hate what we're facing, it's like our shoulders are hanging low and our knees are weak. And though we want to do the right thing, we just can't seem to do it. I'd love to stand strong, but I just can't. And yet James says that there is a strength, there is a healing that is available to us. There is an opportunity to not wallow and repeat the same cycle over and over and over again, if we would just be willing to do one simple thing, take off the mask in front of some people and live an open and honest life. Confess your paraptima. Confess the fact that I'm weak right now and I should be standing, but I can't seem to stand right now. Let somebody else know where you're at. And if you will open up with another person and that person will lay their hands on you and they will pray for you, that in that moment the Holy Spirit will spend, send healing to your situation healing to your life, healing to your pattern, and give you some strength once again. Come on, we need that. We need that strength. But, but I think so many people are afraid to enter into that conversation. So many people are terrified of taking that mask off because on the other side of that confession, they do not expect to see healing. On the other side of that conversation, often we expect rejection. We expect condemnation. We expect someone to shame us. And so it's easier and it's safer to just keep the mask on because if I don't let anybody know where I'm truly at, I can remain safe in this space. You can fake it, but you're not going to make it. You're not going to make it there. 
No, come on, if we're going to make it through this next chapter, if we're going to thrive in round two of this pandemic, we have got to be a people that is willing to be open with God and to be open and honest with other people. We need to be willing to take the mask off before God so that we can find some joy in the midst of a situation where there's not a whole lot of happiness out there right now. And we need to be open and honest with people so that we don't repeat the same cycle over and over and over again, but we can find some strength and some healing when we need it most. May we be the kind of community that knows how to take off the mask in front of God and take off the mask in front of some people. Until we do that, I think we're just going to hit repeat on cycle one of the pandemic. But if we can get this right, come on, we can thrive through this. So allow me an opportunity to practice what I preach as the band comes and we conclude. Allow me to have a maskless moment with Tim. Great TV show title. (laughs) Jesus criticized the Pharisees because... Uh, they were hypocrites. They were putting on the mask. And lest I be, can, uh, be, be accused of doing the same thing, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna to offer some transparency here today. This last week has been the hardest week maybe of my life, but definitely in the last 12 years of ministry. It's been one of the most challenging times. Uh, last Sunday, when we concluded our service, I felt really good. I, I, I walked out of this building and I felt like, okay, our church is well-equipped. We're going to navigate this next chapter well. I feel like God's on this and people are ready to fight. And I definitely feel like we're healthier than we were the first time. And come on, we can do this. We can do this. We can do this. So I went home on Sunday, laid my head on the pillow, felt very accomplished. Woke up Monday morning, uh, went out golfing with some buddies and relaxed and did the Sabbath thing on Monday and thought, okay, things things are good. But when I woke up on Tuesday morning, I felt like a ton of bricks had been laid on my spirit and I was crippled. The best way I can articulate it is it felt like I had been fighting in a battle for nine months. I'd been in the trenches fighting for nine months. And while I was out there fighting for a whole lot of other people, I I never gave space to process what I was walking through personally. It's like the Hacksaw Ridge scene where the guy just continues to grab person after person and rescue person after person. I feel like for nine months we're trying to rescue family after family and person after person and doing what the pastors do, but never really paying attention to my own condition. And it was like in one moment, nine months of heaviness, nine months of fatigue just hit me all at one time. I felt crippled. I felt disappointed. I felt discouraged great irony and inconvenience, however, was that I knew I was going to be preaching this message, so I knew what I needed to do. I didn't want to do it in the moment, but I knew I needed to do it. So I I left my house on Tuesday morning, and I I took a walk, and I began to have one of those conversations with God. I skipped past all the formalities and the, you know, our fathers and heavens and all of that stuff, and I, I just began to have a gut, honest, tearful, ugly conversation with God. God, I don't understand this. Why are we going back into this space? Millions of people have been praying for this thing to stop. And not only has it not stopped, but it's only increased. These people who are finally back on, on, on their feet again in their faith, we're going to get hit once again with this isolation and uh, all, all the stuff that we're walking through. Discouraged, disappointed, yelling at God. I think anybody with an earshot or eyesight probably would have thought that I was a crazy person on drugs because I was just yelling at the air. But after about 45 minutes of that kind of a gut honest conversation with God and taking off the mask, something happened. Same thing that David said would happen. It's like some joy began to make its way back into my sails. 
Like, okay, God, all right, we can do this. We can do this. But I knew that there was a second step that I had to be honest with some people. So I went home and I made breakfast for the family and I sat down with my wife for breakfast. And uh, I told the person that I knew I needed to tell right then and there, I'm like, hey, babe, here's, here's what I'm walking through right now. Here's what's going through my head. And that's a little difficult because you're supposed to be, you know, the strong guy in the house and lead the family and all that stuff. But just, hey, I'm weak. I'm a little beat up right now. I feel discouraged. And God bless my wife. She is a Enneagram 2, comforter of all comforters, emotionally intelligent. She's really good at her job in that regard. <laughs> Although she did say, um, man, it's just so encouraging that you're finally falling apart and I'm still put together and the tables have turned and things are great. And so that was great. Uh, but then I, I knew that I needed to open up to some more people. So a friend of mine is sitting in the front row, one of my closest friends, I opened up to him and opened up to another, uh, other close friends and said, guys, here's what I'm walking through. Here's what I'm facing right now. And can you pray for me? And we did the James 5 kind of thing. I opened up. I let them know where I was weak. They prayed for me. And guess what? Some healing came. At the time of this recording, I can tell you with all honesty, looking directly into the camera, I'm filled with joy. I've been healed on the inside. I'm not weak. I'm not beat up. I'm not depressed. I'm none of those things. Come on, I'm doing good. Why? Because this actually works. This is not just a concept I'm presenting to you, hoping that it will work. I'm living this thing out myself. But as we approach this weekend, I just kept feeling the Holy Spirit say, hey, Tim, you need to share this with the church. Which again, is, is a bit unsettling for me because I'm supposed to be the, the leader. I'm supposed to be the, you know, the, the fearless leader that's out in front and fighting and I'm not supposed to falter or trip. I'm, I'm supposed to be the guy that keeps it all together. But in reality, I'm a human just like the rest of us are. And as infrequently as I like to acknowledge them, I do have emotions, they exist. They're down there somewhere. And I, I'm allowed to go through seasons where I'm discouraged, where I'm a little disillusioned, where I'm questioning God, what are you doing? Because if I didn't, all of this would be for naught. I, I would be faking it. <laughs> and I'm not gonna fake it. And I don't wanna be a part of a church that's gonna fake it. My hope today is that as I share this with you, transparency will beget transparency. That what happens on a stage would happen in a living room. That it would happen in conversations with people all around our city and all throughout our community. That we would not be a church that tries to hide behind a candy shell and say everything is fine when nothing is fine. But that we would be the kind of people that would be open and honest and say, hey, God, here's where I'm at. And hey, brother, sister, here's where I'm at. I need some joy and I need some healing. And I think if we will be that kind of a bold, audacious community, it says, you know what, I'm not gonna try to fake this thing. I'm not gonna live with a disgusting inside while I polish up the outside. I'm gonna say, hey, this is my humanity. Here's how broken and messed up I truly am. I think if we would be that kind of community, it would be so attractive to a, a people in our city and beyond that are trying to fake it but are not making it and are just looking for a genuine, open, honest, integrity-filled community that would say, I know we don't have it all together, but I know where you can find some joy and I know where you can find some healing. We cannot wear the masks this round, guys. Listen to me. Take off the mask in front of God. Take off the mask in front of people. And let's live open, honest, genuine lives this round. In Jesus' name. Hey, thanks for taking the time to listen to the Father's House podcast. We hope it helped you wherever you're at in your journey. And listen, we want to pray with you if you're going through something right now that's difficult. You can go to our website, tfh.church, and click on the prayer and praise link and tell us how to join you in prayer. Until next time, be blessed.